Welcome to another episode in the Conversations with Des podcast series. My name is Des Blanchfield. I'm your host, and thanks for joining us today. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by a longtime contact of mine, and oddly enough, it's the first time we've ever caught up on Skype and live. Uh, I have Ian Moyes with me in the studio today. Now, Ian, a quick intro to yourself. You, um, uh, and I could talk all day about you, but uh, you sit on the board of the uh, Cloud Industry Forum. Uh, you've been ranked as number one influencer in so many things I've lost count, but in particular, cloud computing with uh, Analytica. You've been ranked as the number one influencer in software as a service by Clout, and, and the list goes on. Um, I think it's fair to say you're pretty widely published on a range of topics, including cloud and data security and all things around the, the whole topic and issue of cyber risk and security. Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about GDPR, and we're going to get Ian's insights and views on the topic. It's a very broad topic, so we're going to keep it fairly high level as, a, as an intro, and I'm sure we'll do another episode soon on the deep and dirty detail. Ian, you sit on the board uh, as an advisor to the GDPR certified training firm, uh, Assure Data, and um, I understand that it's all around giving specific relevance um, to what that topic is for um, everybody from practitioners through to firms who are just getting to learn about it. So Ian, welcome to the uh, show and uh, great to have you on here finally. Thanks, Des. Good, good, good to be here. If you were going to introduce yourself in a speed dating scenario in 30 seconds or less, <laughs> what would that sound like, Ian? Uh, that's a good one, isn't it? Um, so I would say I've got a lot of experience in real-world experience in cloud and the data security area, and, and strong opinions of it. Don't know everything. Still learning. It's a, it's a wide subject, but it's that breadth of experience. I've been doing that that, that sector for about 13, 14 years now. So uh, one of the benefits I get is to talk to a lot of end-user businesses, people in the different various parts of the channel. So I get a, a lot of good real-world data sources as opposed to the news and the analyst groups. You know, it's, it's the real information that I can then assimilate and share back to the community um, with, with some good relevant content. Wow. Okay. Well, you're definitely going to win the Speed Dating Award there. Um, we were talking earlier on before we started the episode, and um, one of the things that really piqued my interest, and I'd love you just to give us a quick summary on, on that piece of your background, but we were talking about the difference between uh, market analysts in, in a commentary format versus practitioners who come from a pedigree of actually being hands-on. Um, maybe just give us a little bit of detail about your sort of your technical background and how that's blended into your more advisory and, and consulting uh, activities these days. Sure. Uh, um, well, originally, 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 I, I got into computing through um, being on the technical side. So I was a program analyst at IBM. And um, so I got to know the bytes, bits and bytes and the hexadecimal and all, all that stuff. All the gritty stuff. <clears throat> so I found over the... Yeah, so I found over the years is what it's really aided me to do. I've been in sales for the majority of my career, but it gave me the foundation um, of understanding that I can take uh, the complexity and translate it into hopefully understandable. And that's hopefully what we can do with the GDPR subject today. There's a lot of noise about it. There's a lot of complexity, but it's what, what's the real crux of that and what does it mean so you can understand it? Yeah, well, that's a great segue into probably my first question for you. And... Um, I mean, it, you know, we've had a number of, of different um, regulatory frameworks. We've had a number of different laws. There's been privacy acts here in Australia. Germany's been very, very um, strongly recognised as one of the, 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 the greatest champions of, of data privacy and personal privacy for, for so long I can't remember. And then, you know, there's been the, 
a whole bunch of things like the data shield between Europe and the US and so forth over the years. Here in Australia, we have a thing called the Privacy sure. Act that go, and the Australian Privacy Act goes back to about 1918, uh, in fact, as, as, a, as an actual framework for law. And it's continually uh, growing such that um, I think we're now on par with what Germany is, is doing. Um, but I guess it, one of the things I should probably ask you straight out is, is you know, if, for, for folk who have absolutely no idea what GDPR is, maybe you can just give us some clarity on what it actually is and just introduce the topic as a whole. Sure. So let, let's first clarify that, that what it stands for. It's General Data Protection Regulation. Um, it's been muted for a number of years. And the reason being, in, in, in the EU, across Europe, data laws are pretty outdated. <clears throat> so this is about... This is really, in simple terms, a long overdue refresh <coughs> excuse me, of data laws because technology has moved so quickly. Right. You know, we're in, the, in the world of Facebook, social, cloud, all these technologies, these data laws that have been around to protect the citizen and their data uh, often are 10, 15, 20 years out of date. Right. And, yeah. and in, in a world where the technology is moving so incredibly quickly, you know, if you if you go back 60s and 70s, 10, 15 years, not a lot changed in the fundamental. If you go really in the last 15 years, since since 2000s, think about what we've got. You know, Facebook didn't exist, LinkedIn didn't exist, all this stuff, cloud in the form it's in today, consumable power of technology and date, big data, none of this was there. So that's changed the fundamental dynamics of, of what happens with data and the risk of what happens. So GDPR is been long overdue. It's all European legislation and governments getting together and saying, here is what it should be today. And it applies to all European data citizens, data controllers uh, being the customers themselves and data processors being the hosting or the service providers. And... and it's coming into effect pretty quick. You know, it's it's already it's already law today, which people miss, but it, it comes into effect in terms of policing it May twenty fifth, twenty eighteen. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, essentially a year away, right? So in 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 a large organ, yeah. I mean small to medium sized organisations, and and in many ways, when I talk about this, um, uh, it sort of takes me back to when. Uh, Europe sort of bought in VAT in Australia and, and Canada and New Zealand and countries like that bought in the GST, the goods and services tax, and, and you call sure. it the value-add tax. It's essentially like, you know, for yep. easy math, 10% on top of everything and, and the country makes money. It took a long time for GST to become a thing in Australia. When it finally did, they gave us like a three-year moratorium where no one's going to go to jail for not complying. They sure. gave us all these tax relief uh, options. You know, I think you could buy like $25,000 worth of stuff of a new computer and software and training and accounting services and whatnot to get ready. And to this day, some decades later, I still don't know of any incident where anyone's been fined for not complying with GST fully and no one's gone to jail for it. And so I, I get asked all the time, well, you know, is this like GST? Is it the case that come May the 25th, 2018, which is essentially, you know, well, let's just say it's a couple of weeks over a year away. Um, yeah. It's not a lot of time to get ready. <clears throat> Will there be a fine on May the yeah. 26th for someone who's not compliant? I mean, do you think uh, that's going to be the it's case? It's already happening. There's, it's already happening. Right. Right. So let, let me give you an example, right? So, you know, the, the, the biggest fundamental this where you're going to get the biggest impact is where you have a data, data le- a breach. Yeah a leak of your data. Let me give you an actual example. In the UK, TalkTalk, internet provider, um, in the past two years, had a massive leak. Information Commissioner's Office stepped in under the laws we currently have um, and and took action, and they got a £400,000 fine. 
of a maximum 500,000. So they, they took a hit of 80% of the maximum. Wow. Roll into GDPR. So it's already happening. And, and I could give you okay. wealth of stories, 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 stories across yeah, all yeah. of Europe. So when I present this at events, it's, guys, look, let me just show you the logos and the stories. Here's the headlines. And it's not one, one here and that's it. It's where do you want them from? Germany, France. Here they are all across Europe. Yeah. The fines are already happening, but they're not big enough for the customer, the business with, who's lost the data to have done something before it, before the accident. So what's happened with a lot of businesses, they've looked at this and gone, do we need to mitigate this? What's the worst case? The worst case in the UK is £500,000 fine. Right. What, what's it really going to cost us to go through process, all, all this stuff? Yeah. Do you know what? Let's live with the risk. It's almost like a tax, right? It's like a. It's almost like the way that teenagers treat speeding fines and they look at it and they think, oh, it's just I'll the government. I'll just keep driving fast because I enjoy it. You're right. the is yeah. the consequence bad of? So let's use the talk talk example. Under GDPR, that fine would have been equivalent, let's assume 80% of the maximum would have been 17 million, yeah. not 400,000. Right. Different game. Um, and and the, certainly in the UK, the Information Commissioner's Office has made it very, very clear um, and is doing so virtually on a daily basis that it, this is not something to be overlooked. This is not something we would take lightly. You will take a fine um, so so I, I get i get people asking yeah. that do we really need to this has got to change because the consumer is the one affected we all see the data leaks and and there's so many changes with this law this isn't a minor change right you know let me give it a couple of examples just to get people's attention firstly current law and i'm going to relate to uk but it, this is a yeah, european law yeah, yeah. but current law in the uk is you don't have to report a data breach so if you have one as a business you can go and try and clean up and do what you can yeah new gd new gdpr you've got to report it by law within 72 hours to the information the official body got to be done director's liability of your business so you have to tell someone um so that's the first big change you're going to tell them they're going to, they're going to check it out they're then most likely you're going to get told, tell the people who's been affected. Go and pub, you, you right, have to go and inform right. them your data. So that's going to hit the press, right? It's good. The minute you go and tell 5,000, 10, 50,000 people, we've actually had a potential breach of your data. Yep. It's, going to get, it's going to get out there. So you've got, firstly, you're, you're under investigation and you're going to get a fine of some sort. Two, you've got the bad publicity and, and the brand impact. The third, which is another change in the law, that I don't think anyone's seen coming is you'll be able to take civil action. Okay. So the person As an you're affected, yeah, absolutely. So previously, great, you get you get fined, it's minimised, and there's a bit of noise. Under the new one, the the, the triple whammy is the people affected. You think those twelve thousand people you've data leaked could yeah. take civil action against you for yeah. personal damages? And guess what? I think we're going to see, and this is the big thing no one's talking about. When are we going to see the advert? You'll get it over there. We all see the advert. You know, lawyers are us. Call us. We'll, we'll sort this out for you. An accident at work, et cetera. Yeah, when yeah. are we going to see? Has your data been lost? Well, we see Call if us. It, we see it for car accidents, right? Hilariously, yeah. two days ago, I had a young yeah. guy, typical classic sort of, you know, call center in India. Uh, and I don't mean that in a xenophobic form. It's just that uh, that's predominantly where the, the cheap call centers are being run. Guy said, mm -hmm. it didn't say anything to me. I just answered the phone and I said, hello. And he said, oh, hello. Have you had an accident in the last two months in your car? And I was like, excuse me? And he went through this whole diatribe until the end. I just hung up. Uh, but you're yeah. right. I mean, I think, like, well, the, the talk, I remember the talk talk one. It was like, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 150, 157,000 individuals. Something like that. It was, it was a big, it was yeah, their it was customer. Massive, right? It was their 
Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I mean, it's interesting you said that because you're right. I mean, if it's if it's a, a well, a cap of five hundred thousand pounds. Um, or euros, whatever it is, and it's and it's buried under the rug. It becomes um, it's like a, it's an opportunity cost issue. It's like, well, you know, we we can just we'll self insure that, right? We'll just put five hundred thousand dollars in the bank, leave it there in escrow. Correct. It'll earn interest. Yeah. You know, if something goes wrong, we'll just pay and get rid of it. And I, I totally agree with you with the dis- this disclosure piece because I think. Um, you know, particularly large banks, large airlines, companies can afford a half a million dollar hit because guess what? At the end of the day, they keep that kind of money sitting aside in escrow and to hedge against that kind of risk. And, uh, you know, look at the situation with United Airlines dragging that poor doctor off. I mean, you know, in the process, he had his face smashed. He was dragged off the airplane. A horrific situation. The entire planet was watching it. You know, I, I, I sort of laugh at the fact that social media went crazy. And yet, who's talking about it today? It's nearly a billion dollar. Well, we hit. saw it on Yahoo, right? We, we, yeah. we saw it with Yahoo. Yahoo you know, their valuation and sale to Verizon was devalued by, I think, from memory, three or four hundred million, because they had a data breach during it. Yeah. And it devalued the transaction. Yeah, yeah, but it was so a, it was a the, fraction, though, right, in the grand scheme of things. And I think this is where you get this multiplier effect, right? If you've got one hundred and fifty-seven thousand people. Yes, they'll get a four hundred thousand pound um, fine, and they'll pay that like petty cash. In fact, it's probably such a small amount to the, the size companies we're talking about. It's a problem for them to pay because it's so small. And then, um, yeah, okay, they've got to legally disclose it. But then, is that hundred fifty thousand people who are going to get that TV ad saying, yeah. as you said, like the car auto, the ambulance chases? And I think that's the that's the thing that's going to save us. That even if you get ten well, the, people well, that well, take well, the court. triple whammy now is the big the first fine is virtually uncapped, right? It's 4% of right. your last year's global turnover or 20 million euros, whichever is the greater. Yep. So whichever way you look at it, it's potentially a big number. Then you're going to get the bad PR piece because you have to report it by law, didn't have to before. And then you've got that third bit. And that third bit, if I have to do it as an individual, you're not going to do it. But you tell me the lawyers aren't going to circle around on this and go, actually, I can guarantee this isn't going to the car accident you just gave is great. Okay, it's one individual. You're going to take a case. They're willing to do that, right? This is going to be an individual case where there's going to be 5,000, 20,000, 100,000 people, all who've been affected. And the real thing is the lawyer can guarantee a win. Because, yeah, yeah. because, because the local governmental authority has taken action against this company for a data leakage or a data... Um, effect, uh, it basically says you're guilty. So they're going yeah. to do the bit of saying they're guilty. All you're going to do is ride on the back of it and handle the paperwork. So there's a couple so, of flow on, there's a flow on effect on that that worries me though, and I'm I'm keen to get your insight quickly. Uh, it's sure. like a thirty second summary. Uh, sure. the, there, I think there's there's going to be two of those, right? Because you're right. I mean, we're going to have the ambulance chases. And we're going to have the you know potentially 157 thousand people in the talk talk example. We'll get a, a, a robot call from a, a company saying, hi, I think you've been breached. Um, how do they get a robot call from them? Well, they, they get a copy of the breach data and just email everyone's email address and yep. saying, hi, you've been breached. Yep. We'll, we'll help you, right? That's a no-brainer. Um, and that data becomes publicly available. You can, you know, all you have to do is Google it and go and look at it in all the forums and you can download these things now. Um, yeah, yeah. So then you've got the individuals where you've got this this massive number of 100,000, 150,000 people being uh, represented individually, which is great for the, the one-man band lawyer. But I think the class actions are going to be the killer because all of a sudden you'll have one big firm take on a class action on behalf of all 150,000. Um, yeah. I think the flow-on effect is that companies are going to die. 
I really genuinely believe that the, I think the first couple might get away with the frog because we find our feet, but I can imagine there's going to be a scenario soon where a large company, you know, a bank or a telco are going to get the point where they say, you know what, this is bigger than the, 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 the GFC. Um, we didn't just run out of money, but we've now got people with essentially an open checkbook and are going to keep writing checks until we go broke yep. because um, it's like, you know, blood in the water for a shark tank. Uh, and and I don't know where it's going to go, right? But, but Des, think about why. This is about protecting our data. You as an individual, right, your data is in someone's system, particularly if it's it's critical data, right? If it's just your your name and you live in Australia, yeah, you don't even find it on the internet. But if Absolutely. it's something where it's, where it's your bank details or your financial records or something where they can create identity theft or transactions against it, the, the financial institutions, let's pick, pick, pick on them, them for a second, are already having massive... We're paying higher interest rates because they've got a massive slush fund set aside, yeah. as you described, for the fraud that goes on because it's so big and they can't fix it. What this yeah. is is another layer of is saying, do you know what? You have to treat people's data and secure it and you can no longer be... You have to invest in it. Oh, I totally because agree with you. The, you know, totally it's all of us as citizens that have yeah. been affected. So I, I live in this one, both sides of the fence, right? But you, you've got to think it's been too lax for too long and well, it's been criminal something had sense. to happen. I mean, it's, it, it is criminal and I'm going to put it out there. I mean, people have actually been breaking the law in so many ways. I mean, we've had laws on privacy acts around the world. We've had protection, but no one's really enforced it. I think the great thing about this is it's going to enforce it. And and, and by saying that companies are going to go broke, I mean, I, I, I you know, don't have any feeling either way with regard to the companies i i think they've had as you said they've had far too long to get this and you know yep. you and i have both been in breaches you know you've definitely been in both linkedin breaches you've had a profile for as long as yep. i can remember i certainly yep. have so i've been at least two linkedin breaches but then i start you know and and i've been looking at this whole thing from a, a another topic we'll talk about later but i i call it the human toll and that is that you know if a bank well let's just say linkedin linkedin gets breached and a couple hundred million people's details go and, you know, it's pretty sensitive stuff. I mean, it hasn't necessarily got sexual preferences or blood type, but it's got everything that I need. You know, I could, I, could be, I could get off the plane in Bangkok or somewhere else in Southeast Asia and be put in jail and immediately in handcuffs because there's a million dollars of debt in my name because people have taken the two LinkedIn dumps, created fake IDs, pre-purchased phones, and run up the $50, $60 debt on a, on a fake credit card, and, and I've got to yep. recover that mess. Imagine that on a global scale. Every country I go to now, there's millions of people who have used my details. So we've both been in breaches. We know that. But the scale yep. of the breaches is so big. And so I've been mapping this thing from a whole different perspective and saying, well, if I take every breach data set that I can get my hands on freely because they're out there, and if I yep. map, if I do the analytics and map you and look at every vector and every touch point for the number of breaches you've been in, the number of vectors in those breaches around first name, last name, email, phone, fax, etc., and then yep. the occurrence of them, and then r little bots looking for how many times those breaches are out there, the numbers are so eye-wateringly large that it isn't the case that you may be at risk. You are definitely 100% at risk. Yep. And that brings me to another point, actually. Uh, well, well let, let me throw something in, if I may, for yeah, 30 go. seconds. Absolutely. Anyone listening who's thinking, well, what about me? I'm sure you know this site. Go to a website called Have I Been, one word, pwned.com. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, Troy. Right? I, I actually haven't met him in person, it, but... Um, it's a good little reference. Yeah, so you can put yeah, yeah, you put your email address in or your username, and it will search. It's got the LinkedIn accounts, 164,000 linked. Uh, I've got it in front of me now. You know, yeah, yeah. It's got Adobe, 152,000 linked. You put your email in, and it will tell you if you're in any of those lists because you're absolutely right. They've got the lists. 
So it's a quick way of finding out. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be curious to go and do it. So try it. And that'll put you in the same space that me and Des are talking about of understanding you've probably been affected and don't even know it at this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the have I been pwned, as it's pronounced, because uh, uh, it's short for um, when, you, when you're a hacker and you take over a system, yeah. you own the system. So they, they nicknamed it pwned. Um, and Troy will love you for this, the, the extra spruiking well done. Um, but yeah, that's the tip of the iceberg, right? And, and I've seen a new role come along. Uh, and, and there used to be, when we saw organizations sort of uh, get serious about the stuff, they started implementing these chief risk officer roles. But I've, I've recently seen this whole new role of, of data protection officer come about. Yeah. And you yep. know, we saw it happen in, in the, the large banks. I mean, UBS and others that I've dealt with in the past. I mean, you know, all of a sudden the CRO and the DPO became more important than the CIO. And the CIO sort of lost their seat at the boardroom table because people got yep. bored with technology and shadow IT meant that anyone with a credit card could get Salesforce. But the CRO and more particularly the, um, the, the um, DPO, uh, all of a sudden now have these these um, sort of almost open checkbooks to go and say to people, you've got to fix this problem. And I made it, in fact, a really good friend of mine, um, David Matheson, who runs a thing called the CDO Club, and he's uh, running a CDO Summit events around the world. We were talking about a similar thing that we, we watched the chief data officer became a thing and then the chief digital officer. And there's only like yeah. 2,700 of these around the world. I went and looked. Yeah. I, I could only find 75 references to proper bona fide DPO roles recently, and yet when I looked at all the terminology around it, there were tens of thousands of them. So, I, uh, are you seeing this thing now where companies are saying we've got to have a DPO? We don't quite know what it is. We can't it's even a write problem. the job description. Well, <clears throat> with it, with, yeah, with, with the GDPR, there's some grey areas in it, right? Because as there are in a lot of laws, and one of them is you need a DPO if you process a huge. It's I think they've defined it as a high volume of data, etc. So there's this term, but they haven't detail what does that mean yeah because well, it's because like i think data right vo- people talk yeah, about I big data, high but... volume is ten thousand transactions yep. a year and you might go no I, I, we're doing 52 million a year which one's high it's percep- perception so but what they say is anyone who meets that criteria which is undefined uh, needs to have a dpo there aren't enough data processor officers as you're yep. identifying yep. available to do that number one two the average company out there across Europe is not going to be able to afford it to have someone to do that. And the problem in the way this legislation works, which is for the right reason, you can't have that being your CIO or no, your CSO. They no. cannot hold that because there is a conflict of interest. Absolutely. Because the, the DPO's role is to the customer whose data you hold, not to the business. So you employ them and pay them, but they're... Um, their onus is to not to you it is to make sure you are held accountable and if there is a leak they're the one that goes to report it to the authorities and they cannot be held in any way you can't hold over my don't go and do that or no, no. Uh, actually actually if i do that i'm the one that managed the security that caused the leak so th- so it, it's okay. a difficult one you know well, people, companies want to dual roll it and say it's our legal counsel can't be there's a conflict of interest it's got to be someone who will absolutely hold you accountable um, so it's a real, in, it, you know, this is not an easy change. GDPR should not be taken lightly. It's also not only for talking to you at, in Australia. It's also not just for UK companies because anyone who deals with UK or European businesses, all of Europe, com- any company in Europe that holds personal data on employees or external people has to comply with this law. 
GST, for example, was yeah, one of the, you couldn't get yeah. away from GST, right? I mean, GST permeates everything and companies were on the back foot. I think this is even scarier than GST because it not only permeates everything, it's controlling everything. I've seen, um, yeah. I've seen a lot of organisations that have been around for quite a while, but um, one in particular that started to really make some positive noise. I noticed recently I was reading up the other night, uh, they, were, they were putting some uh, papers and stuff out was the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Um, are you seeing a, a, a resurgence, if you like, of, of organisations popping up now saying that, you know, okay, well, you need a, a GDPO, but as you're saying, so what is a GDPO? You know, what's the job title mean? What's the job role look like? If you write a position description, um, what does it include? And, and is this a technical person? Is it a business person? You know, because when you think of a CIO, I've seen this massive shift in the last decade and a half in my experience where yeah. the CIO is now coming from a business pedigree and not a technical pedigree, and that comes with its own issues. And that business person's managed to wrestle their way back to a seat at the boardroom table because the techies were sort of booted out because they kept using acronyms that no one understood. I think, yeah. you know, as you were alluding just a moment ago, this whole role of, of DPO or data protection officer who are out there making some good noise, that you know, talking about not just the awareness challenge and how to train the organization to change you know go through that cultural behavioral shift but to actually get ready to even employ a dpo um and then get out and sort of you know engage the business itself and then engage their customers um do you see the industry as a whole uh around data protection sort of waking up and, and gearing up for it or are there only really a few champions that are getting it i i think what right now what i'm seeing is enterprise companies uh, get this uh, you know they've got cisos cso C, you know, security specialist teams yep. they get this and and certainly in the finance in certain verticals the pennies dropped and they're they're sorting this out and you talk to them they get it they're on it they're putting people in place they're putting resource behind it they understand the importance the mass market doesn't get it either isn't aware of it right or here's something on it gdpr not a catchy term right it sounds very clunky and technically anyway so well, i don't know what that is and they don't understand the implications on them um we ran a course recently under, under sure data as you mentioned at the beginning 17 people in the room varying titles etc and we watched interestingly during the day now the good is the people were there but we watched their reaction and their um, their um, uh, demeanour towards GDPR change. Right, right. Think about marketing people, right? Yep. They're looking at it going, yeah, I just need to go through some processes. And suddenly their eyes are open of, hang on a minute, this means we can't do that. This, mean, does yep. it, this means we can't do ABC. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and they, you can't spam, that, oh, for example, you, right? You can't keep yeah, spamming people the way you've been doing it. Well, it was worse than that. They can't even just have on a website under the new law where you have something where if you if you if you if you if you click here to download this, we've added you to our mailing list and it and it's yeah. pre-ticked. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we can mail you about anything. Yeah. Uh-uh. You can't no. have it pre-ticked. And, and if you're going to mail them about different things that are other than directly what they're requesting information on. You've got to have four, you know, if there's five different thing product lines, yep. you've got to list all five and have separate tick boxes unticked. Absolutely. And it's, the shock on their faces, you know, this is this is really, t- yeah, it's a game changer, right? Thing. It's it's one of it's the biggest putting game everything changes. in the hands of the consumer. I, everything is going back to the consumer, not you as the business. And I, and I think it's a it's well and truly overdue. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. there are a lot of other. I mean, you know, we've all seen the ad block thing come along, right? Where you know advertising online just got so ridiculous that there are whole websites where I jump on it and as soon as I see the, the front page I just close it because 
I can't work yeah. out what's an ad and what's content. And then you have, you know, not only do you have their yeah. interstitial ads internally, you've got Google ads and other things pop up. Then you've got these little pop-ups that want you to subscribe. And so there's a bunch of us now who just deliberately ad block. And, you know, we fully appreciate that some of these businesses can't stay in business if they can't read their content. But there's this, this, this balancing act that hasn't been. So we've gone from one extreme of the internet being free and easy and no ads to it's all ads now and no one knows what's real. Um, and I think this is the same sort of challenge, right? It's sort of gone from, as you said earlier, no one really did anything about it. It's been around for a long time. Now it's it's such a big, sharp, pointy stick that you, not only can you not get away with doing nothing about it, but it's an extreme thing. And I think it's, I, I don't know, I think it's overdue. I, um, I suspect that a lot of companies are going to really hurt if not go out of business. One question that yeah. I did have with you about the role, um, and, and this came up in a conversation the other day in, in a government scenario, Sure. In a government scenario, a lot of people are struggling to figure out where these roles, you know, you talked about CISOs, we've talked about CDOs and, yeah. and, and, and CROs, DPO sort of comes sure. into that same space. Um, and I suspect we'll have the scenario where it's not just a data protection officer, but we're really like CISO. It's not just an information security officer, it's the chief information security officer now because everyone wants to be chief. So we'll probably have a CDPO come along. Um, the CEOs sure. are really hurting, right? Because... All of a sudden now you've got a scenario where the, the, the you know different CXO roles are reporting all up into the CEO and there's only one of them and they've got to run the business. Mm-hmm. So now they've got a, you know, a scenario where the CIO is talking about technology, the CISO reports directly to them because of the import of that role, the CDO talks directly to the CEO because the chief data officer is looking after data, risk officer. yeah, And it's a very long list. I counted about 18 different roles the other day that were CXO-like roles that we've invented in the last three or four years. I see the CDPO now coming back and saying, well, I need to report directly to the CEO because I'm reporting on all of these other peers and I can't go to the CIO and say, you're being naughty and you need to change because they're going to say, well, good luck uh, solving that. How do you th- and, and then you've got the challenge of the CEO having to report back to the board. I mean, how do you think the CEOs are going to cope with this challenge of having yet another role that has to report directly to them? Um, because it's one of those things that's like, you know, who watches the watches, right? You can't have a, yeah. a DPO or CDPO reporting to any of the other CXO in the suite because they're probably policing them in an effect. And so you yeah. can't really have a, a person who's policing the CIO or the CRO or the CDO um, having to report to them and saying, oh, you've done something naughty. And they're like, yeah, well done, pat the head, get lost. Um, yeah. do you, what do you think the reaction is going to be like from the CEOs and, and you know, any I, thoughts I, on what I, they might do to mediate that? I think uh, uh, the penny drops, if it hasn't dropped already to the individual CEO, they're going to value this highly because, you know, if you look at this, uh, if you look at the, uh, I'm, I'm sure you do this, but look at the top 10 um, drivers for a CEO of a business, it's typically, you know, the value, the shareholder value, et cetera. Yep. So there's certain things that come up every year. If you look at it from the CIO, there's a crossover on there. If you match the two, you know, securities on their data is typically on both because the data is a high value to the business. You know, big data we spoke about. Yeah. Um, so the, this is something they can't ignore, right? Because, and you, you hit the nail on the head. This could potentially put businesses out. The brand impact of this plus the monetary impact. There's the two. Yeah. Public impact of the brand plus monetary, your bottom line impact to this of getting it wrong, the risk and the risk mitigation needed is just too high. So I, I, whilst they may think, well, I don't I don't want to take more response, more people reporting to me and all this. I don't think this is one they can overlook. So they may devolve other responsibilities and, and put different management levels in. 
But this one is, is I think, going to go right to the top up there because it is just too critical. Four, think about you know that, that 4%. 4%, a potential fine of 4% of global turnover. Yeah, yeah. Not, not profit. Okay, so what profit margin are you working on? What, what does that impact have if you took that fine? Does that wipe out last year's profit? Does it wipe out half of last year's profit? And, and how much turnover have you got to do next year to make it make it up? It's not about doing a little bit. That is huge. Yeah. And uh, that's why they've done this, right? Exactly. They, you, they've done this to. to send a message of you've got to now deal with this. This, this is too big a problem. And, and what it's doing is flipping the switch because anyone thinks, well, they've been getting away with it. Well, they, it's on the back end, when there's a data breach in a bank um, – uh, and it's happening all the time, daily, right? Data yeah, being yeah. stolen, identity theft. This is costing them, but also us, huge amounts of money already because they're basically just funding it. If you get fraud on your credit card because exactly. of data leakage, they underwrite it and you get it credited back. Yeah. But we're all paying for that and our interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's all factored into it. Well, they're hedging their so, bets on it, right? Because you know, if you, for, particularly yeah. for a bank, because you know you self-insure because you, you happen to have a lot of cash, and you build it into your commercial model, um, and you've got actuaries and statisticians sitting around all day doing it. Uh, but the funny thing is, you got this this closed loop like an Escher drawing where you have bad data protection or bad data security you get breached. That bre- data breach file gets out there, you know, um, quote unquote Russian hackers, which is unfair because they're not all mm-hmm. hackers. Grab it and then they attack your yep. bank. So the bank's now being defrauded by fake IDs. Still credit cards and the reason that's happening is because they let the data breach it's it's a frightening scenario and i I don't know that there's any answer to that um one of the things that we talked about earlier on that i'm really curious um about your insights on because i think you're one of the few people in the world that actually have a global reach on this for a range of reasons um uh, you know obviously there's a high level of interest in the eu because it's it's a local yeah thing well you know let's just summarize i mean it's perceived as a local thing right but the reality is we were talking earlier on i mean you know who the question i got is who needs to care about gdpr from a a geographical and business point of view because when we think about it being the eu and and regardless of what happens with brexit you're going to be tied up in it because you're in that neighborhood correct but i mean you know in australia and canada and in america and africa and and southeast asia in general png solomon islands new zealand china hong kong japan i mean if you're doing any business in any space, surely there's a broad reach globally, even though that it's seen as a an EU initiative. GDPR surely becomes a global thing. Yeah, there's two words: supply chain. Yep, good point. You know, I've spoken to businesses locally where they're talking about, uh, well, we can defer that, etc. So, okay, let's let's play an example. Do you sell to the public sector? Yeah. Okay. So when they produce an RFI, at what point do you think you're going to see in their GDPR compliance needed? Because they're going to have to do it. Central yep. government, local government is going to have to comply. Full stop. It's it's their law. They're going to put something out and say, well, we want to do business with you and use your cloud service, or we want to use you for data processing or for yep. marketing, whatever it is. We, so therefore, we have to extend data to you. Um, to do that and to re- and for us to be GDPR compliant, which we now are as a local city council, whatever it is, right. we, need, we need to make sure you're compliant because we're going to move data to you. And if we don't, we're negligent of GDPR compliance ourselves because whilst we're compliant, we're just moving the data to whoever and giving it to them. Yeah. So they're going to be enforcing that onwardly to their supply chain. So you're going to suddenly find, actually, there's a knock-on impact that if you aren't compliant, not only... 
could you lose business? Could you be affected with fines yourself? You're going to lose business because you cannot um, deal with GDPR compliant companies. So th then extend that to other regions. If you're selling into the EU and, yeah. or, and you're doing so, anything that may involve that data transfer in any way, you're likely to get affected and be asked the same question of, ah, we're going to move our data to host with you in the US. That's great. Uh, how do you comply with this to keep us GDPR compliant? Right. It's yeah. going to happen because if, if, if a company's gone through all this work of GDPR, so let's play devil's advocate, a business has said, we're going to do this, we've got a DPO, we're doing, we, we are GDPR compliant, we're, we're safe, we've put all the effort in, tick. They're not then going to be negligent no, of no. just moving a data to someone that they haven't checked and haven't, it, what this is going to do is raise awareness, I think, in a lot of businesses of um, refreshing their processes, their systems, um, their uh, people training and their technology usage around data security. That heightening is going to be passed on to anyone they deal with because they're, they're going to have new questions to ask. And um, if, you're, if you're not ready for that, more for you for any supply chain. Well, you, you know, we've seen the likes of, say, ISO 9000 and uh, companies get the little red box with the five ticks saying they comply with all the relevant things around quality and assurance and process and procedure and so forth and just operating their business. I think, you know, construction and logistics and transport and shipping are big areas for it, but technology firms got on board mm. with it for quality control and so forth. But really, again, you know, who, who understands it fully? There's only two or three people in the company maybe. Who's policing and governing it? Maybe one person. Who actually cares? Probably no one in the organization other than trying to work out what the five ticks in the little red box or whatever it is. But I think yeah. you're right. There's a whole vocab and language that has to come about, and maybe you and I should write an ebook on this. Um, but I think there's a vocabulary sure. and language that has to be formed and start with. And we think when we think about what happened with the cloud, people still don't understand what the cloud is. I mean, and that's a fairly fundamental, yeah. rudimentary technology shift of moving all this stuff out of on-premises or into a data center or from the data center to, you know, quote unquote, the cloud. But really, what is the cloud? It's, it's just other people's computers, right? But it's seen as this yeah. rainbow patterned kitten with unicorn horn and, and butterfly wings because no one quite knows yeah. what it is. I think GDPR is going to be the same thing. It's such a big concept. It's so broadly reaching. Um, I just wonder how fast companies going to, uh, you know, to, to adapt to it. But I, I do agree with you. I love your supply chain model because... It touches every single thing, as you said before, whether you sign up on a form for, for some uh, free you know, white paper or ebook download or information or just register an account. And yeah. you know, the thing that always strikes me is I'm almost of the mind that every company that's got any data on anyone, whether it's their staff in a HR system or ERP system or customers in a CRM or any other data, it's almost like um, Y2K, you know, that you... If you didn't comply with Y2K, there was a risk that things are going to stop working on, on, on January the 1st, um, you know, 2000. This is almost yep. the case where it's one of those things that's big enough that companies, in my mind, uh, shouldn't just sit there and say, should we do it? They should almost look at it as a, an enabler. It's kind of like a, you know, when you get a technology refresh because the technology is out of date, too slow and doesn't run fast enough and your company grows. Or if you're, you know, if you've got your equipment or your technology is leased, then you get to the end of life with the lease and you're like, yeah, well, there's now refresh now because all the hardware's out of uh, a warranty. It's yeah. not being maintained. It's not being supported. Um, and commercially, we're going to get a new new contract and a, a new lease and they're going to roll out a new three-year deal. So you just upgrade your hardware. <clears throat> Necess necessarily, 
uh, through necessity because it's it's just commercial undertaking, right? You, you can't keep your old gear because it'll cost you more to keep it than it is to get new gear under a new lease. Yeah. We have to do this because we, we can't guarantee we comply. It's kind of like in banking, wealth management and insurance. You've got to do yeah. any money laundering, AML. You've got to comply with um, KYC. They know your, you know your client compliance. I think the, the DPR is going to be challenged with this whole thing of saying stand in front of the company and say, Every single person needs to go through every single system and look at every touch point we've got with any data. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's like when you're moving to the cloud, you do a cloud readiness audit, and one of the first things you do is look at where your data is because you've got to know what you've got to move and where it goes um, if you're moving from an on-premise system or database to the cloud. This is a, you know, this this touches everything, right? I oh, it does. And, and part of it does is, is the right to be forgotten. You know, you're absolutely right. The right to be forgotten is a massive challenge for organizations. But here's the big thing. You know, companies don't have a choice where they can just sit there and say, we may or may not comply. It it isn't a case if you want to comply, you have to, not just legally, but operationally and practically. It's just a necessity to comply. But it's so broad and so far reaching that every single data set they've got, every, every record, uh, and I think you're about to talk about the right to be forgotten. That that's something that, that yeah. you're not going to choose to have. People are going to enforce it on you, right? Um, I mean, you know, the right to for- yeah. be forgotten, for example. I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on where that's going to reach? Well, that, that you know, that you, you hit on a very pertinent point. This is where the, the devil's in the in the detail. When you look at this business, looking looking forward, you need to look backwards as well. Have you got archived data? Have you got people's data in there? Um, well, under these new regulations, you can only store data for a certain period if you've got the right to do it and you can demonstrate good reason to keep it, etc. Um, and you've got this right to be forgotten. Any any citizen can say, actually, what data do you have on me? Uh, yeah, I'd like that removed. And, and yeah. you need to be able to remove it from all systems, including archive backups, not just live systems. So you've got to think about, actually, we've got data sets that we used 10 years ago which, oh, that's a fact. And, and, and if you're found to be in breach of that, that will count. So yeah, yeah. You know, there's, a real clean, there's a real big cleanup exercise people have got to think about here. And that's where, where people should be starting if they haven't already started the GDPR process of, and it is a process of going through, understand it firstly. And my advice is get on a, get on a, a, a overview training course so you yeah. get to understand what this is about. It's a one-day type thing. Once you've got that, right, now we know what we've got to do now lay out the process and it's a mapping out in a workflow type thing. Here's all the things we need to do. So this is marketing and what they need to do. And you can delegate that. It doesn't have to be one person doing it. And part of it is going to be looking back and what data sets do we hold today? Where do we hold people's data? Where does it get stored? Where does it get replicated? If we put something in the CRM, does it immediately populate into something like Marketo or HubSpot and start mailing out? Where, where are the data links? Because often you put something in one system and you haven't got that holistic view of by putting it in, it now goes into six other systems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, So it, sometimes it's going to be reversing it and getting understanding of what do we actually got and how do our processes and data flows work today? Okay, now let's look at how does that reflect on what we need to do? Where's the gap? You know, so it's, it's pretty fundamental change, change management and, and data analysis you need to do. But you've got to go through it and you've got to start it now. If you leave this till near the end, and I heard you mention year 2K, it'll be too late. And the big difference to this, I use year 2K as an example, by the way. The big difference to this, this one's real. It's a law. Yeah, you know when yeah. it's coming, but it's yeah. real. This the Year 2K was a lot of hype, right, as we all know. And in effect, nothing. how many bad stories did anyone hear? 
but yeah. it was all hype and worry. This one is factually real, and you can and you can understand today the risk. Well, the, the it's interesting that you talk about. Um, there's a a really nice conflict um, in here. Just I wanted I'd love to touch on when you talked about the archive of data. I mean, if we if we forget for a moment that data moves around naturally, as you said, like there's different systems. I mean, you go into a bank. And all of a sudden, you've got a cash account for savings. But then they actually share that data with insurance firms for a range of reasons. And then you yep. might have, they might have a partnership where there's data sharing. And all of a sudden, now you're being offered things by the bank that comes in the post as a flyer for Zurich. So I might be with Westpac Bank in my case, right? I've got an account with Westpac Bank. And I get a monthly sure. statement. And, and, and they're trying to send it to me electronically generally. But it, it often comes in the post because – and I don't think they're going to go away from that because it's so much easier for them just to get a – a pallet load of, of pre-printed things from an insurance company and just fold them in, in the mail as opposed to trying to mail merchant PDF. Um, but think about mm-hmm. Put that aside for a minute because I want to get into that. But um, just the CIO sitting there saying, well, hang on a second, uh, Mr. or Mrs. DPDO, um, I've got backups and I'm a law firm or I'm an accounting firm. And um, we have, in Australia, we've got laws that, that say that you've got to keep your data for anything between five and seven years for different industries because... If you've got yep. some requirement to go back, they've got to be able to prove and provide documentation around that transaction. So now you've got this this curious scenario where companies are legally required to keep data for a period of time, and yet they've actually got to make sure that if you want to, you can be removed from the data. So I, I've seen a whole new industry, which maybe we should invest in as well, which is this, <laughs> this whole new data processing house that takes old archive data off tapes and, and, and various media you know, there's CD copies, there's USB sticks, there's, yeah. there's big archives on tape robots, there's third-party robots with firms like HP and IBM and, and EDS and whatnot. Um, going through that data, I mean, it's it's the ultimate big data challenge because you've got to pull it off tape, get it back into the system that it was in, say it was on Oracle Financials platform, for example. Um, you've got to restore it back into that. You've got to spin up on a copy of Oracle Financials. You've got to go through every row and every column and every field and every record and remove that person and ETL it in the form and then dump it and then put it back on tape and then put it back in the archive in the robot. Now, yeah. I yeah. think that's an insurmountable technical challenge. So um, like GST, there's a number of get-out-of-jail cards for various reasons. I imagine that well, even though now people, yeah, you know, there's a big... There's, there's a big hole in it that people use, but I, I suspect that GDPR is going to have to go through a, a, a growing well, well, up process like things that. Under, there, there, you can apply under GDPR for types of data to be exempt. Mm-hmm. right? So, for example, the pharmaceutical industry will need to store data for research purposes. So they you can apply um, for data sets and, and specific reasons to say this needs to be carved out from following the standard rules. That's all That's all catered for under the GDPR regulation right. in terms of because there will be exception cases that are absolutely valid, as you describe, where if you've got a legislation under a financial regulation that says you need to keep it for seven years, you can't then have another law that supersedes it and says someone can say I want to remove my data and co- conflict with that. So there are carve-outs where the GDPR will not override another um, legal entity or, or rule set. So right, right. It, it is, yeah, yeah. So that that's been thought through because this is this is hasn't been something that's come about in twelve months. This has been in debate for about five years now. So there's been a lot gone into this. I'm sure there's already grey areas in there that people are seeing. There'll be th- some things right that don't a- absolutely fit and don't fit for everyone. And that that's the same with I guess any law coming in. Um, I'm curious about. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things I want to throw at you. That <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the first part is I, I, I'm keen to just get into you know, based on your experience so far, 
what the lay of the land looks like now as far as preparedness that businesses have. But also um, coming out of that, maybe you can also just talk about maybe the, the top three things that you think organizations need to think about. I mean, uh, you know, is, is it awareness and comms? Is it training and education? And if it's training and education, sure. is it is it staff internally that's more important or is it uh, awareness and education of your customer base? Um, and then, you know, is step three maybe putting together, as you said before, a program of work that sort of says you've got to start talking about it, thinking about it. What generally is the lay of the land as far as preparedness for organizations? And then then out of that kind of, you know, what are the, the top three things that you'd recommend based on your, your current consulting and advisory sure. um, on, on that space? So lay, lay of the land at the moment, and there's been some surveys come out around this uh, uh, from the likes of semantics of this world. And, and the, the generic stats that are coming out is anywhere between 85 to 95 percent of businesses across Europe are not um, either aware or at all of GDPR or have not started a process. Wow. So the majority... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's high. So even if you say, well, that's stats and that's the people who'd reply, however you look at it, and, and if we said dream scenario, at least half businesses, let's, let's be really extreme, at least half of companies that need to do this have done nothing yet. And I think we're going to see, we're going to see an interesting problem because I, 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 don't, I think we're going to see some laggards who just sit with it and don't do anything and let it the date go past and some of them will fall foul and be hit quite hard with issues and fines, et cetera. Right. Um, but I, I think we're, gonna, we're seeing right now early adopters who are getting it, and and that will be companies that have absolutely security as key to their value of their business, finance, et cetera. And then we'll see the middle tier, I think. And the middle tier will be the ones that the realization comes, we better do something about this. But what are they going to do? They're going to look for consultants, GDPR practitioners who can help them. They're going to look for training. Um, they're going to look for resources, DPOs, etc. And they ain't going to be able to get them. That's well, going to be the problem, I think. Yeah, because be... there's such – well, there's five point – let's just pick the UK. There's 5.5 million businesses. So yeah. let's be generous and say a million of those don't touch any data of anything, which is unlikely. But no staff, no employee data, no customer data. But you've still got 4.5 million companies – with 12 months to go, you have to do something. Where's the resource? Most of them are going to be smaller, the, the long tail of businesses, as we see across all regions. They're not going to know what to do. No. How are they going to do it? It's like and, the, ultimate, the, um, the, the ultimate job creation market, isn't it? Because even well, if there you... won't be enough places on training no. courses. No. Even if you said we're going to put them on a training course and do it ourselves, we'll do it in-house there won't be enough places. What are we going to see? The prices go through the roof because companies yeah. can charge it. I don't know. But it, it's just a time bomb with not enough time left. Well, they talk that, about... That's the fundamental problem. Gartner talked earlier on about, um, in the data science space, about there just not being enough data scientists. And it was true that, you know, a data scientist now can earn more than a CIO because they're a rarity, they're a unicorn. Yep. And I think, um, yep. you know, your numbers, of even if we just said 4 million companies in your backyard, yep. um, think about the job creation, right? Because now every one of those companies technically may need to, well, it's, even if it comes down to 1 million, just for easy math, yep. a million data. 1 million DPOs. 1 million DPOs, yep. right? But then also yep. they've got administrative staff, they've got project managers, they've got systems analysts, business analysts, consultants. All of a sudden you go from 1 million to 2, 3, 4, 5 to 10 million very quickly of, of people who are focused on this topic alone. Um, I mean, a, a really smart politician would jump on this and, and say they're creating jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway. But well, I, I, the most humorous comment I've had is in, in, in talking to someone, they said, actually, hearing all this and understanding it a bit better, 
I think what I'm going to do is go and register myself in yeah. every system. I want to get my data into every system I can because I know a portion of them will, will get breached. And I want to be in the mix to say whoever gets breached, I can stick my hand up and say I've got some compensation coming from that one. Yeah, Interesting di yeah. dichotomy, right? It is. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny that people say that. Uh, I, I remember when I'm with Y2K, there was a similar comment around standing all these different computer systems up. But you're right. You could go and register all over the place and they make claim. But the, the, the unfortunate yep. thing is that even if you didn't do that, you are already out there in so many places. It's unbelievable. I mean, name one system or one service or one service provider or one platform these days that doesn't want you to register online or doesn't have an app to do it online. And yep. I mean, who, who fills in forms anymore? The, I think the only place in my entire life that I've been filling in forms of late are permission slips from my children's school to let them go on a daily excursion somewhere. Um, and they, they do that yep. because the teacher has to do it and needs a piece of paper to put in their pocket to take in a folder to, to, to show the, you know, the museum that, that there's a list of children and they've got a permission form to do it so that the museum can photocopy it and comply with their requirements to say they know who's on site and what the age they are. Um, and it's not easy to move the data there, but everything these days, I mean, I, I can't think of a thing off the top of my head that's paper-based anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you asked me, you asked me about the summary points. Let me yeah. give you that very quickly then. So I, I would say in terms of taking action, a couple of simple points. One is pick someone in your business to take some responsibility for this. Say, uh, you know whether right now we need someone to assimilate what this is and understand it and, and tell us right, right so pick that person um send them on a one day overview course don't don't worry about getting them all so uh, understanding everything and being an expert and there's lots of big five day courses out yep. there put them on a get them on a, a fundamentals of gdpr one day course so they get what it is and they understand how to relate it to your business and then get them to come back and present to your board or, or to your senior management this is what it is this is how it affects us um, and what we need to do about it so you get the understanding that will kick off the whole thing right do that now by just doing that alone you've already ticked a part of the box of mitigating risk because should you get a breach should you fall foul of gdpr one of the things they're going to look at is what have you done to not fall yeah, foul. Yeah. The, fact, the fact you've just done what I described there, which is nothing really and very low cost, already starts to help mitigate it because you started your process. The other great thing is if you do that and then start your process, put it in your website. Under your, under your disclaimers, we've started a GDPR process. Give customers confidence now, even though you're not there yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's almost know, like a marketing angle, asking, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a positive thing to say, yeah. we care about you as a customer and data and we're doing something about it. Part of the uh, celebrity uh, user experience that, you know, uh, we're ahead of the curve, even if we're just saying it. And, and, and in fact, that's a really good point because I, I notice that now when I see when I see firms telling me that they're doing things, I would rather know they're doing it and understand the impact to me as opposed to find out afterwards. While we're on that whole topic, uh, somebody who's joining a new organization and taking on this heady challenge uh, in the role of DPO and everything that uh, comes with that. What does life look like for them in, say, uh, 30, 60, 90 plus days? Uh, what does it look like if you're hired as a, as a DPO? Um, what are you seeing around the, the, the advisory you're giving that organizations say, we've got one sure. now, what do they do? Like, what, what's their job title look like? What, what is the plan of action? Because when you think about the timeline, right, because I, I, I'm a big proponent of timelines. And if you draw a line along the bottom of the page and you break it up into 12 months, yep. you've got 12 months to go, you break that up into weeks, et cetera, multiply it up. 
you've effectively got 50 odd weeks, 365 days. That's, you know, 50 weeks is not a lot. You know, that's, that's, I've seen companies take three years to roll out new payroll systems or new banking platforms. Um, you know, this, yeah. is, this is like not just rolling out a new system. This is the transformation of your entire organization. What does the first 90 days of a DPO look like? So I, I would say similar to coming into any, you know, when I've joined a new role as sales director, in, in that first period, assimilate, review, and plan. Don't start trying to execute anything. You, what you've got to look at is, you know, the, the data sets you've got, um, the processes, the technology in place around that, uh, and the people. There's, there's, this impacts on all of that. So it's review, get an understanding of what's there, map out that, and the, uh, in, assuming the D DPO coming in under, has got an, the understanding of GDPR, fine. So I've got that. What you need to do is review and assimilate. What, where I, where's, your, where's your baseline right now that you're starting from? And then plan. Once you've got the plan in place, actually going through a GDPR um, to get GDPR compliant isn't rocket science. But it, it, but it is if you don't know what you're starting from and where data is because you're going to mix it, get real messed up and mixed. Right. You know, for, example, for example, what data sources do we have? Um, uh, where's it stored? Where's it backed up? Can we change it? You know, there's some data store, stores out there. You can mark stuff as deleted, but it doesn't go. Um, what's our data destruction? So how do we get rid of data? You know, when we get rid of a PC, what is the policy, for example? Don't worry about fixing it yet. Understand what the processes are and all the pieces. Then you can and look at, okay, what's high risk? What's mid risk? What's okay? What needs to change? Plan it out. That'd be my first three months. Then you've got a plan. Now the rest of it is about execute. Right. And that execution yep. may be changing processes, training people, um, clean up of data that can that can be a highly costly and complex exercise depending on what's and that's one of the big ones most companies struggle with is is the data quality um and what technology you've got and it may be you need to buy in some new technology or do some refreshes of of tools that you use or find a lot of companies don't have data destruction tools right, right. That, that's reality um so if you don't have them you're going to identify okay so there's buckets you can put stuff in yeah but you've got to be, you've got to be organised, and and that would be my first ninety days. Would be you're not actually doing anything to get towards GDP, GDPR in terms of pass, executing. What you're doing is assimilating, documenting, planning. Yeah, it's that preparedness really. Look, they're a fantastic takeaway. So um, I want to wrap up on one last one with you, if that's okay. Um, Sure. Uh, because, in fact, just in that, just as a funny visual, as a laugh, I remember years ago, one of my first jobs, I think I was about 14, I used to work after school um, at a data center, and uh, I used to run backups and, and put paper and printers and put tapes and tape drives, and part of my job yeah. around data erasure was to take the big reel-to-reel -reel tapes and put them on a massive magnet and wheel them around in circles for a minute <laughs> to expose them yeah. to a magnetic force to, to wipe the data and then put them back on. I can just see this. I can just imagine this thing where we just run <laughs> backup media and disks through a magnetron. Um, yeah. Great summary. Uh, just to wrap up, last thoughts. What are the best places for folk to go and find things? I mean, you know, you're, you're on, the, on various advisory boards. You, you do certified. You, you advise, uh, I think it's Assure Data, was it, which you can probably tell us about for training. Sure. Yep. Um, but if, yep. you're not, if you're not close to Assure Data or if you're not nearby, what are the, just, just to wrap up, if there are a couple of sources you could re recommend people do, other than just Google it, 
Where are the key places that you'd recommend people go and find information about it to get up to speed? Is it Wikipedia? Are there particular standards bodies? So, so, um, so I, I'll, I'll give you one. You, you, one of the things, you, in Europe, so this is a European law, the UK has been particularly, our, our prior data protection law has been one of the strongest in Europe. So it's a it, it's pretty good place to go. So if you look at one, one place straight away, Information Commissioner's Office, I, the ICO, look at them on Twitter um, or their website, you will find a wealth of stuff on there. And what they've what they've done a pretty good job of is cheat sheets and trying to make this understandable. And they're out promoting this at every event and trying to make it understandable to different vertical sectors. So um, Elizabeth Dunham, who's the head of, uh, of, of that body, for example, presents the accountancy forum. And then the whole interview is transcribed, but it's directed towards that industry with a different slant. So the good about going to that resource is it's independent. There's no commercial bias on there. Um, they're trying to make it understandable and they're trying to make it relative to different sectors. So you're not just looking at generic flat information. Um, and there's good guides and downloads you can get there and it's all free. That would be my start point for anyone. Although, you know, if you're in Germany, France, you're going to find the equivalent in your region. But certainly if you're outside Europe, U US, Australia, that would be a great place to start. No, great advice. And I guess um, uh, just to wrap up, it's one of those things where you're far better off going to an authoritative voice like that and getting the facts right as opposed to sort of doing the Dr. Google thing where, you know, people don't feel well and they Google the symptoms and think that they can beat their GP yeah. and avoid $60, right? Uh, would you agree? Well, the problem, the pro the pro yeah, the problem you're going to get with that, Des, is you're going you're to get too much information because yeah. this is, you know, I saw a, a publication in the UK recently and this is where I said this is, is where it's starting to take impact. One of the major uh, publications here, Computing News, uh, six headline articles on a particular day, four of them were around GDPR. The next day, two out of six were GDPR. It's, it's, it's already started and it's going to grow. Every legal company has got stuff about this on there because they, they can see the opportunity. That's why I say go to that site because if you just right. search, you're going to get so much stuff and a lot of it is product pitch from vendors. Uh, uh, so you'll start reading it and it's actually not what you want to hear it's talking technology or it's giving you very generic stuff and it's not going to help educate you what it's going to do is just confuse you yeah yeah absolutely and, and, and it's very much that dr google problem where people turn up to their gp with symptoms of one thing and they've they've had 50 different people in different forums tell them it's one thing or another and drink lemon and honey and whatnot um and look we're going to wrap up there that's a wow wealth of knowledge i think anyone that's been listening to this episode is just going to walk away with such a, a, a refreshed a view and insight into what GDPR is about and the impact on it. And thank you so much for all those valuable insights and so forth. You're welcome. Thank Ian, you. uh, UK Sales Director at Natterbox, thanks so much for your time. It's been a great episode and I can't wait to do another one on uh, the next big phase of GDPR soon. Thanks for your time. Thank you.